Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies, brought to you by FilmDivider.com. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me as always to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick and James Hunt. We'll be discussing the latest comic book movie and TV news, and then we'll explore one movie or television show in depth during our main discussion. This week we'll be casting our eyes over Gavin Hood's 2009 film, X-Men Origins Wolverine. But before any of that, I'm going to ask Seven James to explain a comics concept that, as a movie fan, I just don't understand. And anyone that has listened to last week's mini-sode might have been teased on this one. But guys, can you tell me, what is the difference between Aquaman and Prince Namor? <laughs> well, they're about as... They're, in terms of personality, they're about as different as you can get, really. And to be fair, in powers, like, they, they yeah. both have the kind of undersea ruler going on, but there is... Tell me, because I, I genuinely know very little about any of them, other than Vincent Chase made a very good Aquaman movie, and Namor was in the comic I read last week. Aquaman cannot marry a woman without guilds, whereas Prince Namor has done so on in the past. <laughs> I mean, I'll just very briefly touch on Aquaman, because to be honest, even as a DC fan, there are, there are few DC Comics characters that I know less about than Aquaman. I probably know more about Brother Power the Geek than I do about Aquaman. <laughs> Aquaman is the king of Atlantis. Um, he lives in the sea. He communicates telepathically with sea creatures. And for the most of the time, he's incredibly boring. The only thing I've ever liked with Aquaman in it is the Kate Beaton Harker Vagrant strip with Aquaman in. Um, other than that, he's just he's a dull character who's always there because he's always been there, basically. Namor is significantly more interesting. And James, you can probably explain a bit about why Namor is actually really cool and awesome. I'm not convinced he is, to be honest. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Like he has a cool battle cry, which is Imperious Rex. It's not really clear why he speaks Latin, but, you know, also he's sort of confusing because he is a mutant, which is why he was once eligible to be in the X-Men. And his mutant power is that he can fly, mm. which doesn't really happen underwater very much. But once he's <laughs> out of the water, he's all over the place. Like it's a bit, you know, it's kind of confused. So, should I be excited about seeing any of them on screen? Is there? A, can you can you foresee interesting takes on them? No. <laughs> no, you can do fine. stuff with Namor because he's haughty and overtly regal I mean he's a git basically he's the most self-absorbed character you could imagine but you can you can have fun with that I think yeah he's a very different archetype to a lot of sort of lead heroes I mean I haven't seen it yet but purely from the look of promo photos and clips and things it appears to me that in Jupiter Ascending Eddie Redmayne is basically playing Namor oh great so, yeah. <laughs> that is a fantastic hammy performance. I wonder whether um, Namor would be best introduced then into the MCU as part of maybe like a smaller part of an Avengers movie or a team-up movie ra rather than his own title. The place to introduce Namor is in the Fantastic Four. Exactly. Because he has this sort of long-standing uh, like love rivalry for uh, the Invisible Woman's affections with Reed Richards. Okay. But for obvious reasons, that's not going to happen in the MCU. One of the interesting plot lines with Namor has been that relationship with Susan. Not least because it's pretty much almost entirely on Susan's terms. Like, Susan is a happily married woman who acknowledges the fact that Namor is completely obsessed with her and enjoys flirting with him while knowing that she is a happily married woman and it's just it's quite a nice flip of the usual sort of dynamic you would get 
Okay, uh, let's move on now to this week's comic book movie news segment. And it's not it's not a huge exciting week, but we've got a few things to touch on. James, I wanted to ask you specifically about in the news this week there was Valiant Comics, who I knew I know very little about, less than I know about most of the stuff that we normally talk <laughs> about. But they have entered into a deal with a Chinese and US film production group called DMG to put together a slate to hopefully take some of their titles and characters to the screen. So who are Valiant? What what are their titles? And is this interesting? Is this significant? Okay, essentially Valiant was set up in the in the nineties by a former Marvel editor in chief hmm. who he left the company and was like, Okay, I'm going to set up my own superhero universe and do it right. Naturally, that didn't happen. Like, I think Valiant as an entity has gone bankrupt a couple of times. Uh, at one point, they were bought by Acclaim, the video games publishers, and, you know, they did a bunch of video games using the characters. They're essentially a bunch of off-brand superheroes. Do they have anyone interesting that people are going to have heard of? Because I'm reading in this piece on Variety that they own 2,000 characters that include XO, Manoa, Bloodshot, Harbinger, Shadow Man, Archer, and Armstrong. <laughs> and I've never heard of any of them. Like, not even normally when we're discussing stuff in here i'm like oh well at least i mean that rings a bell i don't know anything about that character but i've heard the name yeah this is the thing like they were they were popular in the 90s because all comics were popular in the 90s and <laughs> they've basically coasted on that exo man war was in a i was in a computer game with iron man and that is the extent of most people's exposure to him they have one property that is genuinely great and that's quantum and woody which is about a, a superhero duo where essentially one guy is a sort of traditional superhero and the other guy is like a slacker idiot and they both have powers and they can't use their powers independently and like that concept is really good and it's sort of a it's basically it's a comedy but the rest of it you're just getting off-brand marvel and dc heroes let's move on to the second piece of news now something that happened this week week was PlayStation Network's Powers finally saw the light of day after uh, a very, very, very <laughs> long development process. Seb, you're a Powers fan. I, I take it you haven't been able to see the pilot yet, but you you have something you want to say about Powers' journey to the screen. Yeah, as someone who's been reading the comic for a long time, I mean, it, it, it launched in 2000, and I think I, I got on board about 20 or so issues in and kind of caught up and read the trades. It, it, it's a little bit sad that the kind of the lengthy development has led to something that already seems like it's a bit of a damp squib in terms of the reaction to it and even like the way that it's come out I mean the reaction to it is one thing because I mean I haven't seen it yet so it could turn out that I actually really like it you know it's not like reviews of everything are always going to be 100% right but it's definitely had like a lukewarm Mm. critical reception it's just so strange that it's been released in this way I mean I, I know Sony have bought it um, and put it out so that it can be used as something on which to sell the PlayStation Network in the same way as you know Netflix have so successfully done with their Netflix originals. But I've just been trying to look up the precise details of to whom it's available, where and whether you have to pay for it episode by episode or not. And it is just not clear. You know, the ep- the first episode is available for free on YouTube, but it's region locked to the US only. I don't know if this means that it's available on the PlayStation Network in other countries or not, or if it's only on the PlayStation Network in America. As I say, I, because I don't really know the mechanics of how subscriptions work with PSN, I don't know who gets it without having to buy it per episode, but I know that if you don't have a PlayStation account, you can buy episodes and just watch them online uh, in a browser. So all of that just seems seems like a bit of a mess but it kind of seems reflective of the fact that Powers has just been from something that was a fantastic comic 10 12 years ago and it really was in it you know in its first volume it has just been on this slow sputtering death if you don't know anything about it it's a sort of police procedural in a world where lots of people have superpowers and it's about the cops who deal with superpower related homicides and one of them used to be a power but lost his powers and then over the course of the series you learn a lot more about his background and he's actually incredibly significant in a lot of ways it's written by Bram Bendis, who obviously we've discussed a fair bit on this podcast because he's written great comics like Daredevil and Alias and Ultimate Spider-Man and like I say you know the, the first few trades I hugely recommend them as a great read but it really suffered from scheduling problems over the last few years and has just been it's been trickling out slower and slower and it keeps getting about every 10 issues or so it gets relaunched with a new volume it's just lost so much of the spark that it originally had and i am still reading it but i care so little about what's actually happening in it now and particularly given that the two creators brian markabendis and the artist michael avon oming recently launched a new series that's completely unrelated to it called united states of murdering and it's like all of the energy that used to be in powers has kind of gone over to that really and it's a really really good series so far 
powers a tv show would have been something that i would have been so excited about like maybe five six years ago maybe a little bit longer and now it's like well it's been out for a few days and i, I haven't even gone to the effort of switching on um holer unblocker and watching the youtube <laughs> upload yet let's move on now and james and i are going to uh, engage now in a little bit of conversation about agents of shield so feel free to skip ahead several minutes. <laughs> I thought this would be interesting to do the week after our Agent Carter episode, after we kind of vaguely discussed Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which mostly was limited to James slagging it off without us addressing anything specific about it. And James has actually for a year and a half been writing the episode-by-episode episode reviews of the show for Den of Geek, except after the mid-season premiere, James bowed out and passed on those responsibilities to someone else. And so I thought it would be interesting for James for you to tell us why you did that. And yeah, as someone who I, I I am a lot more positive on the show at the moment uh, relative to most of its past. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting to find out why you've walked away now. I think bowed out is kind of a nice way of putting what actually happened, which is that I rage quit. Because <laughs> <laughs> what happened was they, they ended on like a really strong finale, which had like the show had finally got to the point where it tied in with the Marvel Universe in kind of interesting ways. It was using things from the comics. Uh, it was expanding the cinematic universe and then when they came back for the mid-season which is supposed to set the agenda they backtracked like they had the characters not even realise that Sky had powers mm. one of the things I hate most in TV is when you're watching things waiting for the characters to catch up with you yep. like also the the fact of her using her powers was so low budget, it just felt like they couldn't well, afford yeah. to... She can shake coffee cups. Well, yeah, exactly. I had no interest in watching, like, five episodes of her almost causing an earthquake, but not... But you have since seen episode 12. Yes, where she almost causes an earthquake, but doesn't. And also, her powers are revealed to everyone. That's out in the open. It seems to me, almost, it would have been a good idea for S.H.I.E.L.D. to air those episodes back-to-back on one night and kind of establish the character conflicts that it wanted to establish in episode 11, whilst also being able to properly reveal oh, see, what its status is, quo this was This is the other thing, forward. though. It's so inconsistent, and it, like the description mm. I would use is that it's plotted like it's being steered by a drunk person. Like, it's just all over the place. Like, they clearly decided, okay, for this for this new half of the season, we're going to make Sky feel like an outcast in S.H.I.E.L.D. So, suddenly everyone starts talking about, like, whatever Raina turned into is probably evil and could destroy the planet, so we better capture her, and maybe if she dies, it won't be a problem. You see, I think that is the show trying to address or deal with the very bad foundations that it laid for itself in the first season. And especially with a character like Simmons, who's, who you're, you're referring to there, she's been very one-note for the duration of the show and they've I think they've actually turned Fitz around her into a very good character they've introduced Bobby who's a good character Agent May I think has always been strong yeah and I, I almost feel like I'm cutting it a bit of slack for it acknowledging <laughs> how terrible it was for two thirds of a season last year steadying the ship and now it's almost like it now feels like it is telling a story that is its own story it finally has characters with powers and yes it's a TV show and it's going to be on a budget and it's probably not going to be able show great earthquakes every week but if they hire talented directors who can work their way around that then it could it could at the very least be interesting the thing is the reason i stopped reviewing it is because the writing doesn't respect its own story like the effects don't respect what the story wants to do and the characters are so inconsistent you can't tell if someone's acting out of character i think they're close to having a decent lineup though they killed off one of their worst characters and from what they've teased of in human introduction i thought they handled Rayner's emotions post transformation really well and the guy with no eyes seemed very interesting to me as well in fact i think everything they've done around the inhuman mythology has been handled handled really well it's just a shame that there are some characters like simmons and like lance hunter who aren't the best <laughs> i actually quite like hunter because he's the only character who appears to be having fun but again okay they they spent an entire series knocking down shield to like six people or whatever mm. and then they have them stage a fake kidnapping yeah so that they can kill seven heads of hydra or something who we've never even met and that's their you know that's a big moment they're building up to what was it that you you said at the end of your review that you think you have higher expectations for the show than it has for itself yeah i mean i expect it to be consistently written and to have <laughs> you know plots that so i like i know i sound brutal but i just nothing in the show makes any sense and it's all written in retrospect you see i think it's getting there and i think it is it's taken a long time to get over all the terrible 
terrible stuff that it did before, but it's getting close. And I like, for instance, that they haven't backtracked and made Ward part of the team again, and it reinforces No, but you, that. you just know he's going to turn up as, like, the, you know, he's entered the Hydra power vacuum, and now he's, like, Baron Strucker's deputy. But we can't show Baron Strucker. We can only mention him. I'm not entertained by watching a TV series where I'm just sort of tuning in to see if they mention Thor this week or not. Are you going to continue to angrily watch, or are you cutting off all ties? Uh, I watched the last episode because Sif was in it. I think if I'm <laughs> going to watch the rest, it will just be sort of on a more casual basis. Through all of that, I couldn't. I just couldn't help but think how much happier James would be if he was watching The Flash instead. <laughs> watch a, watch uh, a good superhero TV show. Well, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to Flash once once we reach. I think when we reach the season finales of Flash and Arrow, we should at least have some discussion of them. If not, if not full episodes in the future, I think that would be fun. But for now, let's move on to our spoiler filled discussion of x-men origins wolverine uh, but before we dive in let's listen to the original trailer for the movie all the things in your life knowing that the woman you loved was hunted down i can make all this go away i'm putting together a special team with special powers join me you will have your revenge. Mutants. I don't hate them. They must be controlled. Lock down! Well, well, well. Look what the cat dragged in. Don't worry, we'll stop him. You just spent half a billion dollars making him indestructible. Young mutant you've been looking for? Logan isn't the only piece of this puzzle. Hunt him down. We all got a choice, son. Now mine got taken. Okay, so that was the trailer for X-Men Origins Wolverine. Before we dive in, we might have explained on earlier podcasts, if you've listened to those, how we're going to approach franchises on this podcast. Generally, our rule is going to be we're going to start at the start of a franchise and work our way through. So with the Batman franchise, we've already started. We will do it in the order of Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. We might do other Batman films that are not part of that continuity in between, but we will certainly follow franchises through in chronological order. So, for example, we're also going to follow the MCU through from Iron Man all the way through to Age of Ultron. We've decided to approach the X-Men franchise slightly differently because it has such a confused continuity anyway. We thought we would follow it from Wolverine's perspective. So, from where Wolverine is mentally, not where he is in the chronology because there is time travel. So we are going to follow where Wolverine's mind is through the movies as we work our way through the x-men films we will go after this to first class then x1 then x2 then x3 then the wolverine and then days of future past so that is how we're doing the x-men franchise and that is why we're starting with x-men origins wolverine yay (laughs) is it fair to say guys that none of us no one thinks this is a good movie is that fair I'm, I'm sure, like, maybe Gavin Hood's mum does. <laughs> well, Hugh Jackman doesn't think it's a good movie. Well, quite. I think now it's marginally a better movie than I thought when I first saw it in the cinema. Mm. Having rewatched it, and I was, and what rewatching it for this episode is the first time I've seen it since seeing it at the cinema, and it didn't feel as bad to me as it did back then. Mm. I, I certainly think there is um, there are interesting kernels of ideas in this movie, and there is a lot of potential shown in the first, uh, probably most of the first half before we get to Wolverine gaining his adamantium. And I think it would be interesting to discuss here what it sets up well and then what it does wrong and why why ultimately we think it doesn't work. We don't just want to laugh at this movie, although we will do some laughing. There are some very bad moments. Um, <laughs> but I thought we'd kind of work our way through uh, the movie chronologically, guys, which means that the best place to start is right at the very beginning where we meet a young James Logan and... Oh, is he, is he called James Logan in the film and not James Howlett? Oh, oh exactly. Yeah. Okay, Thomas, so this yeah, is... Thomas Logan is his father. 
So yeah. we so we but absolutely need to get into the confusion of this. I found this scene in cinemas the first time incredibly confusing because I forgot that Wolverine's name wasn't Logan. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we so we meet this kid and his friend Victor except we very soon find out that in fact they are half brothers and they have the same father and that their father has just murdered the man that Wolverine thought was his father who he then in a rage attacks him and reveals his bone claws for the first time let's talk first what how does that how does that compare to the comic books is that is that very different I was gonna say this is like one of the things I think works really well in the film but having heard your like <laughs> struggle to understand it maybe it doesn't work as well as i thought well because the problem is is that we know we know the comic on which it's based and it's compressing several issues of a comic which we may or may not discuss later i like the scene i just think it, there is a lot there is a lot to take in very fast i like i certainly like what it establishes it's just it's one of my favorite bits in that it kind of the the comic that it's adapting kind of takes a long time to tease out the idea that uh, james howlett is this kid who lives in a big mansion and the son of the groundskeeper you're supposed to think is Wolverine because his name is Dog Logan uh, and then it's kind of a twist that James Howlett is the young Wolverine and coming it from a position of knowing that story like I, I thought this was a really nice quick version of that origin I appreciate how how almost neat and tidy it is in that it, it, it establishes all these ideas very fast. I found it confusing on the first watch. Um, and I think I think certainly names in this movie are confusing. Yeah. And we'll we'll get to even the name that Wolverine decides to go by during the movie. He gets confused <laughs> about what name he has. Um, and just one thing about that scene as well that I think adds to the confusion, even if it's in a slightly subconscious way. They cast someone who looks really like... An older Hugh Jackman to play the man who you think is or the man who Logan thinks is his father so yes. like yeah 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 that film starts and you go oh that's Wolverine's dad oh he looks quite like Hugh Jackman that's quite cool and then 30 seconds later is the revelation that he's not biologically related to him which I think is really confusing. <laughs> you see, and now I think this works, again, really nicely into the themes that Gavin Hood tries to establish early on. So you've got a young Logan who has these two father figures and one he wanted and one he didn't. And the one he wants is the guy who looks like a grown-up Hugh Jackman who is a respectable man. And then you've got this other man who almost represents Wolverine's animal side. He, he's there with the big mutton chop sideburns and the thing we meet him doing is killing another guy. So you've got these two kids who are half brothers and one is looking up to one father figure and one is looking up to the other. And so you've got the duality of these two characters who have very similar powers and decide to go off on the run together. And you can almost see from that from that brief glimpse of their childhood why they will start to slowly diverge over the next 150 years that they spend together. <laughs> I, I like that. I think I think that's a really a, a really neat little idea. Well, yeah, that's like the central kind of conflict of Wolverine is that he's he feels like he's an animal and he's trying to be better than that. And in the comics, they like Sabretooth is supposed to be the inverse of that. Yeah. Like he, you know, he doesn't care. He embraces that animal nature, and like that's you know that's the core theme they start working towards in the film, and then abandon sort of about in the midpoint. Well, that's what I mean. I and I. I think that's a really great thing to set up right at the very start because <laughs> by the very fact that this is a prequel and that we know that we've kind of seen what Wolverine's origin is already, it's not interesting to see how does Wolverine get to point A to point B where he has metal to point C where he has no memory. What's interesting to see is what defined this character, what made him tick at an early stage. And I think this film sets its stall out to do that. I, I think the, the other interesting point in that opening scene is what causes Wolverine's claws to come out for the first time. So this is, you know, this is a coming-of-age moment. He essentially sees the man he loves and respects killed, which causes him to be filled with rage and, you know, essentially have that superhero as puberty metaphor that we, that we see in a lot of these films. Well, that is, that is, like, the central idea of uh, mutants and X-Men, is, like, is that it's, uh, you know, an adolescence thing. Yeah, and we, and we get that in that one scene, but it comes <laughs> about because he's filled with... A sorrow and B rage and he uses it as kind of self-defense but also kind of as a rage-filled violence 
Mm-hmm. which then sets off these two guys on the run, angry, and they're looking for a place, and then we get that great title sequence. Yeah, I mean, that's, that I was going to say, the title sequence is probably the strongest thing in the entire film, if we're being honest. Mm. Like, it's a really sort of inventive and uh, concise way of, you know, getting across both their relationship and the sort of length of it. And the subtlety of how they diverge. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about that title sequence is that it kind of drives home what I think is actually a good idea, which is the, you know, making... Sabretooth and Wolverine Brothers because again this might come as a surprise to anyone who doesn't know the comics because it seems so patently obvious that them being long lost brothers is a plot point that makes sense for them because they're two sides of the same coin but actually Mm. they're not brothers in the comics at all not in that comic that James mentioned earlier either no. no, I just I think that's an example of the film changing something from the comics in a way that entirely makes sense for the films and gives them something on which to hang it. Um, and I think it helps that Lee Schreiber and Hugh Jackman work really well together. Yes, um, you know they work as a duo and as antagonists to one another. You know, well, Lee Schreiber has that kind of he has that wry humor, but also that he's he's really good as believably angry and he's also good to because he pitches it a notch higher than Hugh Jackman Mm. you you certainly get that this guy is one step more feral this guy is one step more angry like you said this guy wants to embrace the other side of his personality and I think that title sequence then works because all that stuff has been set up in the opening scene and then to let that unfold wordlessly over the titles, you get the time then to actually ruminate on the on the opening scene to think about what that was saying and how that's been expanded in these stills. And you do, you see them slowly parting ways and slowly acting in slightly different ways. The only thing that then I think becomes troubling is that right at the end of the title sequence, they lay bare, which we should all know already, but here are two immortal characters that can't be killed even by a hail of gunfire. What impact is that going to have on the rest of the movie yeah it would have been a stronger thematically if they'd set up the idea that these two guys can be killed and they know presumably how to do it to one another like because like they know their own weaknesses hmm. uh i think it, it harms the stakes for the movie that they don't set that up more explicitly and maybe committed to the fact that okay we understand that this is an origin of wolverine movie but acknowledge that the duality of these two characters is so important that we don't want to shroud sabertooth or victor's motivations in mystery in the first half that it would be more interesting to lay bare why they are when they do split why they're splitting so when we meet back up with them six years later why they're both acting that way and instead we have this mystery surrounding why is victor going around the country killing mutants now why is that happening why did he kill kayla why yeah i think they did both characters a disservice by not sticking with Sabretooth. yeah yeah i mean i have no nothing particular to add to that except that i think you're probably right yeah when we do get to the end of that title sequence and Stryker turns up to recruit Victor and James, they are then put into kind of a group of mutant mercenaries. I've seen the film, I don't know all of their names from memory, but we get <laughs> Zero, who can shoot things. Uh, we get uh, Charlie from Lost, or slash uh, Lord of the Rings, and he can do stuff with electricity. We get Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool, or, well, Wade Wilson to begin with. Uh, we get a guy who will eventually be a big fat blob and we get will i am um <laughs> what well, do any of those characters make an impact for you team x which is the name of the the group that he joins at least in yes. the comics yeah they're just the, a bunch of the most uninteresting characters who have ever been introduced whenever they turn up in the comics you just switch off because they're just a, a tedious bunch i will say blob and chris bradley chris bradley sorry is charlie from lost uh, yeah. dominic manhattan I, who i like and they kill him off within five minutes yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's from a completely different story and he was sort of chucked in there and blob is a a, a classic x-men villain who they used for some reason i you know i couldn't speculate as to why he couldn't he couldn't he's there's nothing villainous about him in this movie at all is there yeah no. he's I, i've got a soft spot for the blob because the first ever x-men comic i read was issue three of the original stanley and jack kirby x-men and he's the villain in that he's basically because his thing is that he can't be moved like if, if the blob decides he doesn't want to be moved you can't move him no matter right. what even if juggernaut runs at him <laughs> <laughs> That I'm not sure about. <laughs> they must have done that at some point. They must have done that story, yeah. They've literally got one character who is an unstoppable force and one and character one who's an immovable object. object. Yeah. Oh, I just want um, to see that movie, Juggernaut versus the Blob. Oh, that's um, a pitch for another time. 
And I think while his presence in this film is utterly, utterly pointless, I like that when when he becomes actually the blob and he's big and fat, he does actually look like he does in the comics. So I, right. I quite like that. So I want to ask you specifically about Ryan Reynolds and Wade Wilson. Um, and we'll, we'll leave aside what he becomes in the second half of the movie because I lay my cards on the table to the audience. I am a Ryan Reynolds super fan. And on a comic book movie podcast, when we're talking about Blade Trinity, Green Lantern, and X-Men Origins Wolverine, that's probably <laughs> people are going to think, what the hell is wrong with this guy? But I think he is a genuinely fantastic actor who has made some very bad choices. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't think there are many people who are who are like comic book fans or comic book movie fans who don't like Ryan Reynolds. I think I think we all look at Ryan Reynolds and go, come on, man, just, just pick a decent one for once. <laughs> I imagine the character of Wade Wilson that we're seeing personality-wise in this opening sequence yeah. is going to be close to the Deadpool that we see in a Deadpool spin-off movie. So. Yeah, I mean, that that's obviously what he signed up for, is to play that character. And he plays yeah. that character very well for those ten minutes or so that he's in it. And I actually and... thought of the powers that we were seeing on screen, him being a, a typical Ryan Reynolds, slightly dickish, arrogant, fast-talking, Van Wilder, basically. But then he goes in and is just properly chilled out about these incredible powers that he's showing and chopping all these bullets in different directions. I thought that was cool, whereas... Most of the other most of the other guys didn't even seem to use their powers during the attack. <laughs> Sabretooth goes up onto the building and grins and then never shows back up in the scene. But so do, but does does he actually have a mutant power when he's just Wade Wilson in this? Um, in the film. In the film, I mean, yeah. In the film they heavily imply he's like an expert marksman to a superhuman degree, don't they? Yeah. But it's just weird because that doesn't really strike me as what a mutation would be. You know? Well, there's one character whose power is he shoots really good, so it makes sense that there is another character next to him who is he uses swords really good. And they yeah. do, it, to be fair, it does seem in the film to be depicted as superhuman speed. To see those bullets and, ta- it, you know, that's not human ability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely, yeah. you know, it's definitely superhuman as they're portraying it. Uh, it's got no basis in the comics in that sense. But they're recruited by Stryker. And again, we're going to get to lots of these little niggly plot holes and things that don't make sense. So I think it's a really clumsy script and a film that, I don't know, possibly underwent many rewrites. It seems to have two writers on it, Skip Woods and David Benioff, who have... Uh, from their other work would seem to have very little sensibility in common but that's a scene where they launch this incredible heist on this compound to steal something which essentially the, the if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with juvederm volbella xc and juvederm ultra xc your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com today that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with juvederm volbella xc or juvederm ultra xc do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. 
guy who has it says, oh, what, this piece of rock? It's just a souvenir. Take it. <laughs> so why why have we watched a big scene of them launching an assault to get this rock, which he literally doesn't give a shit about? He yeah, doesn't like, even know it has value. Could they not just bought it off him or something? Like, he doesn't want it. Yeah. <laughs> he probably wants a pile of money. Yeah. Most people do. But yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a silly little niggle. But essentially, Stryker has recruited these guys. And when we are covering this on the podcast before we get to X2, where we've already met an older Stryker, do you think if you'd have turned up to X-Men Origins Wolverine as like an X-Men newbie, you would have understood why Stryker's doing what he's doing, why he's evil, what his motivations are, or what, what he's trying to achieve at various times throughout the movie? <laughs> Not really, no. <laughs> I'm not sure why he wanted Wolverine and Sabretooth on his team. Was one of them not enough? And also, like, Deadpool is being put together yeah. before Wolverine is given the adamantium. Because if he's not, then that then there's no explanation for why uh, Charlie from Lost gets killed. Because you, you assume he gets killed because, like the others, they're, they're taking his powers. Well, Wolverine um, is supposed to be the final... He says it's the final piece, even though he goes and gets Cyclops' eyes after that. Yeah. Um, but Wolverine well, yeah, is it, supposed because, to be the X before Yeah, because De- Deadpool's Weapon 11 and Wolverine yeah. is, is, is Weapon X. Which I've I've never liked it. I'm, Grant Morrison did it as well, but I've I've never liked the because the whole point about Weapon X is that firstly that it's a ridiculous name and also because it's X like X Men. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't like making Weapon X be Weapon Ten. I mm. I think that's I I'm the opposite. I actually do like that, especially because Weapon <laughs> One was Captain America. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> what is Stryker doing here? He's just set up as a Machiavellian villain. It's like, oh, yeah. do you recognise that this guy is the same guy as in X Two? Well, if you do, you kind of know what his motivations are. But yeah. in this movie, it doesn't tell you any. There's one reference to his son and it's really exactly i was going to say right to, oh it's not right at the end is it but it's fairly late on they yeah. mention <laughs> that he's got a son who's a mutant it's when stuff, he assassinates the yeah. general isn't it and now striker the final power he needs is wolverines but what does wolverine have that Sabretooth doesn't have well quite uh, that's not me being stupid it just doesn't make sense no in the comics the the reason is that wolverine he survives the weapon x program because he's got a healing factor and that's why they use Wolverine. Like, it's just a happy accident that they yeah. capture a mutant with that ability. Yeah, they transplanted it into the film and sort of lost the reasoning behind it. Because he says to Sabretooth, uh, oh, you couldn't handle this. You know, like, he, he basically says to Sabretooth, like, we couldn't put the adamantium in you. But the film seems to, even though it's not completely explicit, but the film seems to suggest that Wolverine and Sabretooth have, ide- have an identical mutation. Hmm. So there is no given reason especially given that I think he's the younger brother, while Wolverine's healing factor would protect him and Sabretooth's wouldn't, because everything else the film has told us is that, aside from the fact that they have different claws, as far as the healing factor goes, they have essentially the same mutation. Hmm. And let's skip ahead to the end, uh, just just to stick with Stryker, but I also don't understand why Stryker is so keen on making sure that Wolverine is dead, because surely once he has his power... It's borderline irrelevant. As long as he doesn't keep coming after him, and Wolverine ran away, he wasn't going to keep coming after him. He could have just let Wolverine go with his metal claws and made Deadpool. And now if his ultimate goal is to create this ridiculously great weapon, which is Weapon 11, why would he then risk his perfect creation when it's not ready on defeating Wolverine, who is irrelevant (laughs) Um, to him by that point? it's because the filmmakers got to the end of the film and then suddenly realised that Wolverine's not supposed to remember his past, so they had to come up with a contrived reason for him to forget <laughs> everything. I tell you, just from a continuity perspective, it sort of bothers me that uh, he gets shot in the head twice with adamantium bullets, and then in X-Men, it's just no one mentions this. Like, obviously they didn't mention it because they hadn't come up with it, but you'd think if you were trying to figure out why Wolverine lost his memories, you might go, oh, there, there are a couple of bullet holes in your head, maybe that's to do with it. <laughs> so essentially we got to the point where Stryker's motivations aside, thematically the stuff that's going on with Wolverine and Sabretooth and them getting to the point where they, they despite to split, one of them decides I'm going to try and embrace my human side and live a quiet life, and one of them says I'm going to embrace my animal side and continue to be a mercenary. And we're going to part ways. At that point, the film is still ticking along. They've been running their whole life and Wolverine decides, I'm not going to run anymore um, and I'm going to keep myself in check. And we flash forward six years and he is in this ridiculously um, idyllic (laughs) relationship. He's a a lumberjack. (laughs) He's he's in a, a great relationship with this wonderful woman who he is unaware is a mutant. Tell me about Kayla in the comics and is that something that worked for you in the film? Like in the comics, 
comics then she's more commonly known as Silver Fox yeah uh, which is a surname in the film and basically plays the same role as someone who was Wolverine's wife slash lover who Sabretooth killed yeah again there's another like this is something we'll get to in the comic recommendations but there's a specific story they've adapted here as a kind of vignette uh, which appears to be sort of the the MO for this film is to take the sort of disparate parts of Wolverine's past that have been set up in the comics and turn them into a sort of vaguely coherent narrative um, again I think you're right in saying at this point the film is still sort of on course just about yeah again it's a time where the film takes a moment to slow down and explore the character of Wolverine which I think is what the film should be doing and you know the fact that he's waking up in the middle of the night with these nightmares because he has been a guy that has seen so much horror and has been filled with so much rage through so many years before that point and the fact that 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 is when his claws come out and Gavin Hood seems to be very careful about when he wants to show Wolverine with his claws out and and what it what it represents when he does that might have been budgetary <laughs> But I, I do like that scene where he, he's nicked her and that's kind of like the worst thing that can be happening to him right then because he's in love with this woman and he doesn't want to harm her and he is still scared that his animal side will overwhelm his human side. And then the plot kicks in and Stryker turns up and Victor turns up and one of the dumbest plot contrivances <laughs> in the Kayla is dead scene, right? Because she's covered in blood, but where are the wounds? You could argue that she used her powers to convince him. Yeah, yeah you could. You <laughs> yeah, could. it's not convincing. But, but I think I think he might have given it more thought than they did. Yeah, and it do, that it does allow us to have one of the film's many many cliches, which is Wolverine gets to do a no. Oh, Wolverine screaming <laughs> into the sky is dreadful. Yeah. So many lines of dialogue in this film, I was able to complete before they were finished. Like whether it's like the yeah. response to something, or someone says half a line and then the other half of the line and that was just that well you knew that there was going to be a no there's just so much cliche I think there's a bit when 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 Strikers uh, sorry I am jumping ahead again but when Strikers assassinating the the general guy for whatever reason he's doing that uh, (laughs) and he says something about and I have to deal with every threat foreign and then stabs him uh, and then there's a long pause and he goes and domestic and it's like I had already completed that line before he'd even killed in the fairness guy. they cast Danny Houston very well for a just hugely <laughs> hammy evil role if you're not going to give that character you might as well let Danny Houston just ham him up to the yeah, extreme yeah I mean you know in, in X2 you've got Brian Cox giving him in you know significant amounts of nuance I'm not necessarily saying that Danny Houston you know I'm not trying to compare him unfavorably to Brian Cox it's just, yeah he's he's more suited for that less nuanced portrayal I think of, I think uh, Danny Houston can be a fine actor but he's also oh yeah, a yeah. fantastic hammy actor <laughs> yeah exactly going back to the time he spends with Kayla and again I really want to discuss what the film almost gets right the life that Wolverine wants to live and who Wolverine is and what matters to him and I think this comes back to one of the other themes of the film which is memory essentially this is a film that we know once we get to the end this guy's memory is going to be wiped so that is the thing that he whether he knows it or not needs to treasure more than anything so these great moments are what means a lot to him and then when they're torn away from him at the end of the film that should be a shattering moment and i think that the film kind of destroys it by the way that it reveals that kayla is still alive i think on the one hand it's good that it's not just because at the moment that you think she's dead and that he thinks she's dead it's such a bad fridging yeah so yes, at least yes, yes, by yes. it by it that not turning out to be true at least that is averted but apart from that and i was talking to you guys before we recorded there is a deleted scene on the dvd which gavin hud said he very much wanted to include essentially when he discovers that kayla is alive that's the point at which wolverine says to striker look okay take my memory i don't want to remember any of this and that was gavin hud saying that is the closest this character can come to suicide because for an immortal man everything that he is is his mind so for him to reach the lowest point is to want to rid himself of that memory yeah he's he's resetting himself and essentially becoming a new person so it is yeah. essentially like suicide for someone who's that difficult to kill I, I like that I like that as yeah a, and I think that would idea. have really secured the relationship but whereas in the final edit of the film his response is just to walk away this is a movie about a guy watching him live this 150 year life and getting to the point where he loses his memories and his mind and that should be I think that should be the focus in the movie once we get to the point where the adamantium is grafted onto his skeleton it just becomes like two characters running after each other in different 
different directions and it stops exploring Wolverine it stops exploring his relationship with Sabretooth how he feels about Kayla I mean we do find out how he gets his jacket so that's we do so that's in that good. middle sequence one of the most one of the most important elements of the Wolverine mythos how he gets that jacket <laughs> I, I, they're the moments of prequels I hate and here's how he decided to call himself Wolverine <laughs> and here's why he forgot to ask for his first name to be on his dog tag so he's just Logan <laughs> So, I mean, I think most of the middle of the movie we can kind of skim over because there is a lot of just bad CG chases and fights. <laughs> there is the bit where he fights a helicopter. <laughs> oh, God, and that terrible fireball that he walks away from. <laughs> to be fair, as far as... Ke- if, if someone's going to fight a helicopter and as far as suspension of disbelief goes, I would rather see Wolverine fighting a helicopter than John McClane fighting a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. In the middle of the film, we get once Kayla dies, Logan agrees to have the adamantium grafted to his skeleton because he wants vengeance after having a big, terrible, stakeless fight with Sabretooth. Then he goes on the run, and then two elderly people are killed who give him a jacket. <laughs> and then he gets chased again and manages to survive. And then he goes and finds out what Stryker has been doing the whole time and decides that he's going to run after Victor while Victor is still running after him. But he also needs to stop this thing that's going on on an island. So Will I Am tells him about the island, and then we meet Gambit, which I think is the next thing that's almost worth discussing. Well, can we ju- just before we get to that though, because we did we skimmed over the the quiet bit in the middle. We have to talk about that scene in the bathroom with the claws. We do, yes, because yeah, you're right. like this film was made nine years after the original X Men film. And in the original X-Men film, Wolverine has got his adamantium claws. They made them out of like foam or rubber or whatever they made them out of. And they stuck them in Hugh Jackman's hands and he holds a little thing so that, you know, so that it can look like he's got metal claws. And they look absolutely fine. And nobody yep. ever had any complaints about them. Nobody ever said Wolverine's claws look rubbish in the original X-Men film. So why, nine years later, do they decide to make those claws CGI and look so, so bad? I actually think the the shot of him emerging from the water in his huge ripped Hugh Jackman body is is pretty good. I yeah. think that does is he have, a, does he have the claws out then? Because they're probably yes. they're probably practical ones for that. I think bit. that's a pretty I but, think that's a pretty effective yeah. shot. It's really it's really nicely framed with the with the blue water and the him emerging in slow motion and kind of xing his arms out with yeah. these blades. But then, yeah, then you get to the bathroom scene and the CG there is shonky. And as, as I say, I think it's shonky in a lot of the fight scenes. Yeah, and this is the thing. It's like, I know it's only a small scene and it's over with quite quickly. But to be honest, like from for ever since I first saw that film in the cinema, if you said to me, X-Men Origins Wolverine, the very first thing I would think of would be the terrible CGI claws in the bathroom. So it's like, even though it's not an important scene, I just don't understand how something could be so bad and so fundamentally misjudged when you come to watch a wolverine film like you want to see the claws don't you (laughs) so (laughs) if you're going to get anything right it has to be them like there are two things that make up wolverine the haircut and the claws and they increasingly don't bother with the haircut so and then that's followed by the scene where he is followed by agent zero expert marksman can shoot anyone who continues to miss him when shooting at him <laughs> and then in the very next scene striker goes poor zero he never stood a chance if only he'd had this gun with adamantium bullets he might have <laughs> well why didn't you give him the gun with the adamantium <laughs> bullets then you toss pop <laughs> So yeah, guys, talk to me about Gambit. We finally meet Gambit in New Orleans, and I'm aware that he's a bit of a fan favourite character, although I think he's, in this film, pointless. I, I, I think the only reason he is in the film is because he is a character called Gambit. He's annoying in how badly he hinders Wolverine, only to decide, oh, wait, no, you're all right, I'll help you, and then do dumb, inconsequential stuff at the end that he could really have helped out right at the end there, but didn't. (laughs) His job when he arrives on the island is to stop a piece of stone falling on Wolverine and then to run after some kids who are getting on a helicopter and just witness them getting onto a helicopter. Why do people like Gambit? Is it just because of the animated cartoon? Well, in the comic, like Gambit was sort of introduced as... Like, he was a roguish uh, man with a mysterious past, a new version of Wolverine, because that's, you know, uh, what mm. Wolverine became. And, you know, comics went to just suckers for that sort of story. Did, did the animated show play any part in that? I'm sure it did in, in making 
him more popular, yeah. Because also, I mean, be, I mean, he hadn't been around in the comics long when the animated series happened. Yeah, so it was only a few did years. Do a lot to establish him in in the consciousness and the ridiculous accent and the ridiculous costume. And they obviously were just trying to set up a solo Gambit film, but they didn't get X Men Origins Wolverine doesn't give you any reason to want a solo Gambit film. There's no character to Gambit. He doesn't impact the plot in any way. The only thing he helps is by telling Wolverine where the island is but you can solve that in one line of dialogue elsewhere and when he does turn back up at the island at the end like what the fuck have you been doing for the rest of the time you've been <laughs> fighting and then what does he what's he do that helps when he shows up isn't the whole reason he's in the film is because Lauren Shula Donner's just a big fan of Gambit and she wanted him in X3 was it and they couldn't find space for him so they just put him in this I mean she, she was going on for years about getting Channing Tatum to play Gambit and that is finally what's happening next year personally I think Gambit works best as a supporting character that's not to say he hasn't been able to sustain his own stories before but if they do anything involving the thieves and assassins guild i'm not even going they've got i mean they've got a flat out movie star who can carry a franchise to do it as with most characters in the x-men franchise find the right take and they can support their own story easily enough like one story definitely Okay, so we, I mean, we, we've, we've visited the end section of the movie many times throughout this discussion, anyway. <laughs> but so we we finally get there, and Deadpool is unleashed. He is revealed. Now, first, the first question I want to ask: How are the other mutants' powers being harvested for Deadpool? That's never explained in the film, is it? And I don't because I don't understand why he has to kill them. Because I mean, he has Cyclops's powers, and Cyclops is still alive. Well, Sabretooth is a psychopath, so you know he just kills because it's fun. But so for for unknown reasons, they've been harvesting the powers of many of the mutants that we've seen over the course of the movie to create Weapon 11, who is Deadpool. I think it's borderline irrelevant. I mean, you two have both kind of said you're not huge fans of Deadpool in the comics anyway. So rather than like going to how he's different from the comics, because I know Deadpool fans were furious and it was part of that leaked script of Deadpool, that the <laughs> character of Deadpool would be furious about how he was depicted in X-Men Origins Wolverine. For you, why doesn't Deadpool as a villain in this final act work in this movie? He's just like, th there's no thematic relevance to the rest of the film like he's just might as well be a sort of you know punching bag you know what is what is Wolverine's fight with Deadpool telling us about Wolverine like nothing and and you're taking a character who you'd introduced earlier in the film who's sole kind of really great quality was how he was a bit of a fast talking funny guy and you've sealed his mouth yeah that is the ridiculous part but also like there's not even any reason for it to be Wade I mean Wade was in the film for about 10 minutes and mm. then disappeared and then comes back at the end and it's like okay we know it's Ryan Reynolds like it's relying too much on exterior knowledge we know it's Ryan Reynolds so we know he must be significant because he's a major actor and we you know if you know the comics you know he's going to be Deadpool so you know that Deadpool is important but within the context of a film he's just some guy who Wolverine worked with yeah. nearly a decade ago. <laughs> it's the like franchiseitis thing, isn't it? Where they just they're trying so hard to set up spin-offs that they forget to make mm. it matter in the context of the film they're, you know, trying to spin off of. And honestly, the character is so powerful with all of the powers he's been imbued with that first of all, it seems like a ridiculously a too powerful a character to introduce on the one hand. On the other hand, for a character that powerful to be disposed of that easily at the end of the movie is insane. Yeah. When you have Wolverine in this movie and when you have Sabretooth and when you've had that amazing first 15, 20 minutes, it's certainly in terms of how those characters work together and what their relationship is and what they represent. Why is the finale of the movie not those two characters addressing what makes them similar and what makes them different through a comic book movie third act, which is a big fight? Yeah, I mean, that is a question for the screenwriters, isn't it? And or director. And then the way that it loses things, as, as we've mentioned, creates so many continuity problems. There's continuity problems in the characters going off with Professor X. And I mean, yep. this is kind of incidental, and we'll get to this more later in, in the other films. It creates continuity problems with Sabretooth. Now, I think almost if the film had have really pulled off the Sabretooth Wolverine thing the whole way through, I don't think we'd have cared because it had been so great. Mm. 
But mm-hmm. at the end of the film, it almost, it, it, that's another little niggle. Uh, the fact that Wolverine wakes up and there are two people around him. There's this dead girl and there's Gambit. Now, if I'm 20 years later trying to figure out how I lost my memory, I'd probably be looking for that Gambit guy. <laughs> don't you think? Yeah. He shouldn't be too hard to find either because he has the world's most ridiculous accent. This film is almost like one or two rewrites and some slightly better CG away from being a coherent movie that justifies its existence but essentially we we know this origin story from x2 so the only thing that's interesting to me is finding out what kind of person was wolverine before he lost his memory and how did what happened to him pre-memory loss what kind of person was he then that is different to the character that we know in the x-men films but essentially he's just the same guy isn't he this isn't a different wolverine this is the same man this is sort of a point i wanted to make about the film in general yeah which is that (laughs) Wolverine's appeal is that he's a kind of anti-authority, you know, he's a maverick in the kind of classic sense, like plays by his own rules, whatever. Hmm. Uh, In the film, he spends most of it sort of whining and complaining and sort of being morose. Like, that's not really Wolverine. I mean, because what you were saying earlier about about all, all the kind of characteristics of Gambit being someone who works better in a team environment, all of that is absolutely true of Wolverine. Because when you put Wolverine in his own stories and he's not bouncing off Professor X and Cyclops... Then, then he becomes this character, and I, I think I think this character is a fairly reasonable reflection of how Wolverine has often been in his solo stories, and it's exactly the reason why I've had no interest in reading Wolverine solo stories. Yeah, that is a Whereas fair point, I like actually. Wolverine when he shows up in things and, no pun intended, punctures them. Um, <laughs> that, that said, I mean, while while I do question the need for several films about solo breeding morose Wolverine, I don't think I would ever begrudge Hugh Jackman the opportunity to play Wolverine in his own film because Mm. I just have so much admiration for Hugh Jackman's enthusiasm for playing the character of Wolverine. (laughs) The fact that he's been doing it for 15 years and he shows no sign of being interested in stopping. He, He loves the character and he is completely... He has made the character his own, to use a horrible cliche And phrase. that's why it's telling that he was so disappointed by this movie. Yeah, exactly. He was disappointed by the movie because he wanted a good Wolverine movie. He wanted to explore the character more, and the film was unable to explore him more. And also, while this film has a lot of problems, I don't think any of them are to do with him. I, I mean, I always like Hugh Jackman. I, I, he's an actor who I really like and always find him a quite engaging presence in films. And I don't think he does anything wrong with no. the material he's given I, I'll be honest, either, I don't so. think they have an awful lot to do with the director, Gavin hud i think most of the problems are in the scripts and i think if maybe there's something that gavin hud isn't able to do it's to assert his will over the movie and i do urge anyone go pick up the dvd of this film watch the deleted scene and hear him talk passionately about this scene where wolverine makes the decision to lose his memory and gives you no indication that it was his decision to cut the scene other than that he loves it and was maybe given permission to talk about it on a DVD extra and that's it. And I just don't think he had the power to exert over this movie to have it reflect his vision. And the fact that Skip Woods is one of the screenwriters who is honestly, as far as I'm concerned, one of the biggest hacks in Hollywood. It's just a crying shame. I do just find the contrast between the two writers fascinating. I mean, you said before you think it's like maybe one rewrite away from being a good movie. Yeah, but I think that rewrite is one that happens. <laughs> That's very the look possible. of it, yeah. Yeah. you probably had a good, interesting script that then got rewritten to make it this more kind of ballsy action thing mm. that just absolutely makes no sense. Well, I think that's a good point to end it on, guys. Um, so, uh, do you want <laughs> Having to... Having thoroughly rec- depressed ourselves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but are you going to recommend me two interesting comics to read spinning off from this movie? <laughs> I might as well start because I'm going to recommend you the obvious one and I'm not going to say too much about it. Um, You do kind of have... If you want to read a comic that informs this film and relates to this film, then you have to go and read Origin, uh, which was published by Marvel between 2001 and 2002. It was their We Are Finally Telling Wolverine's origin story. And so as as I kind of mentioned earlier, the first five minutes of this film stretched out over six issues of a comic, basically. Um, So, yeah, don't expect it to cover anything like Weapon X or anything like that. It's the origin of Wolverine back in Canada in his earliest days. 
Um, it's written. What's quite telling is the fact that it's it's got three writers on it because it's plotted by Bill Gemas and Joe Casada, who were the president and editor in chief of Marvel at the time, respectively. So it was something that was very much created at the top editorial level because Marvel decided that for a big promotional publicity thing, just after the first X Men movie had come out, that they were going to capitalise on the surge of interest in Wolverine and finally tell his origin. Specifically, just quickly, I want to point out they the reason they did. That- was because they knew if they didn't the movies would probably do their own version of it so they wanted there to be a definitive comic (laughs) version unfortunately i mean as as james kind of alluded to you know you take away a lot of the appeal of wolverine if you delve too deeply into his origin the point about wolverine is the earliest that anyone ever knows about his origin until the comic origin is weapon x no one you're not supposed to know how old he is or where he came from or what he was doing before then origin was the first time they went back and told you that but it is an important comic to read when we are discussing the origins of Wolverine and you can see where certain elements of the film came from so yes it is the one that you should read but just bear in mind that nobody really thinks of it especially highly right I really like the first couple of issues and then the sort of back four are a bit what's this about it's a bit like the movie uh, James what's your recommendation there's one recommendation that I think a lot of, like I feel like I should mention this because a lot of people will be going well this is the other obvious choice and that is uh, it's just called Weapon X and it's by Barry Windsor Smith and it was essentially the first telling of Wolverine's origin in the comics that ever sort of explained what the Weapon X program was I'm not going to recommend that. Okay. (laughs) Because I don't think it's particularly good. You know, it's an important Wolverine comic, but I think if you're going to read something based on this film, you should read Wolverine Volume 2, Issue 10. Just, is this just one single issue? Just one single issue. That's going to be an easy week. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's written by Chris Claremont and drawn by John Buscema, and it's essentially the, where they took the Silver Fox material from. So it's the story of Sabretooth coming to kill Silver Fox. It's just a, a single you know, self-contained story. Okay. Uh, you can get it on Comixology. Um, and yeah, I think in the context of this film, it's it's more interesting than the Barry Windsor Smith Weapon X. And because I am interested in the character, even if you, you uh, don't speak of him particularly highly, do you have a Deadpool recommendation of something that I could read about Deadpool to at least get to grips with that character before the solo movie arrives next year? Um, the only version of Deadpool that I've ever read with any sort of affection remotely is Joe Kelly's run from the late 90s. Again, it's on uh, Comixology. It's written by Joe Kelly, drawn by Ed McGuinness. From what we know about the film, it looks like a lot of elements in the film are going to be taken from that run. Like, again, it's from the period where all the issues are self-contained, so you can read as many or as few as you want. I would say maybe get the first two or three. Okay. It's very subjective as to whether you'll actually like it or not, because like, there are loads of comics fans who don't have any truck with Deadpool at all, and there are loads who do, and, you know, I fall into the former camp. Right. Well, we'll see where I fall, and it seems like a good week to do it when I only have one issue to read. Okay, well, we'll head into our final section now, which is the pitch, where Seb and James will both have 30 seconds to pitch me a movie idea. So this week I'm asking guys, um, related to X-Men Origins Wolverine, which superhero's origin story that we have actually already seen explained on screen would you like to make the basis of a new movie? So you can take any superhero who we've already seen had their origins explained on screen and do it again. So, Seb, do you want to go first this week? I'm stretching it a little bit because you said superhero and he's technically a villain, but I think he could be repurposed as a hero. Nuclear Man from the classic Superman 4, <laughs> The Quest for Peace. Uh, because I really think that the amount of social commentary and, and nuance in a character that was created by taking protoplasmic cell scrapings, merging them with the DNA of Lex Luthor, attaching them to a nuclear missile and having it thrown in the sun by Superman. I really don't think we've explored that in enough <laughs> detail. Amazing. James, let's hear your rebuttal. You've got 30 seconds. Uh, I would like to see a film exploring the origin of a little-known superhero. He's called Spider-Man. Like, I know we've seen a couple of versions of Spider-Man's origin, but they, they all miss out the essential portion of the character, which is the animal totem aspect that was added to the origin by J. Michael Straczynski. Uh, and basically, uh, you know, they've got villains like Morlin, who is a kind of vampire who goes around killing uh, animal, other animal totems to steal their powers, like, have just not been used in the movie franchises at all, and I think it's time we got to that. 
So after Seb's answer, I thought, okay, I'm going to have Seb's jokey answer, and then uh, James is going to hit me with something super serious, and I'm going to have to make um, a difficult decision between uh, one funny joke answer and one legitimate serious one. Hang on, my, my, mine was not a funny joke answer. <laughs> yeah, luckily, neither of us have any respect for the process. No, you both you both trolled the process entirely. But I have to say, there is a little there is a little bit of me that wants to see a movie do nuclear manic. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually like. I would love to see the the new DCU introduce that character. We no one ever, even in a jokey way, James. No one ever wants to see Spider Man's origin on screen again. I, I'm shame on you for even suggesting it. Do you not like the idea that the spider chose Peter Parker? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, isn't that isn't that the Amazing Spider-Man films? <laughs> I mean, well, it, it nearly was until half of the scenes got deleted. But so, Seb, you are awarded the victory this week, and that is it for this week's show. Um, before we get into the final spiel, um, I'd like to just include a quick plug for the podcast House to Astonish which has recently returned, which I'm reliably told by James and Seb is probably the best comics news and reviews podcast out there and a fantastic way for anyone who wants to learn more about the source material. And so you can find out more about that podcast at housetoastonish.com. But if you are enjoying our particular show, Cinematic Universe, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. And if you've already subscribed, then please head to that app and leave us a rating or review. Uh, we'd appreciate it greatly. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at CU underscore podcast. You can send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. And you can find earlier episodes of this podcast by heading to cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com or on Panel Beats. And because this is a Film Divider podcast, you can naturally find them on filmdivider.com as well. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye. I don't mind being the smartest man in the world. I just wish it wasn't this one. Cinematic Universe will return in two weeks' time with Watchmen. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.